Well, I want to welcome everyone joining us, all of our people at the Gulf Coast campus, the South Shore campus, our right here at Little Creek. Those of you joining us online at Orleans Justice Center and at uh, St. Tammany Jail, can we just put our hands right t- together right now and welcome everyone this morning? Man, that's a mouthful. Just think about that. In the last year, uh, all that God has done in 2017, all of the different places, the new places that our uh, influence has reached to, all the people that are seeing us now online and then through different venues and different campuses, it's pretty exciting, isn't it? Come on, can we just give God another hand clap for that? It's awesome. And I want to say Happy New Year. I know that today is not New Year. Today's New Year's Eve, but I probably won't see you tomorrow. So um, Happy New Year. Good to see you guys. It's always good to be with you here at the Little Creek Campus. I always love our time together. And uh, we are having a great time just growing across the board on all of our campuses at Church of the King. It has been a great year. Excited. And you know, it's, it's that time of the year when we, uh, we, we look back. It's on the brink of a new year. So we t- kind of take a look back at the past year and evaluate uh, how the year went. You know, look at the successes and and sometimes the not-so-successes, you know, those things that you go, man, I am not doing that again this year. And, of course, then all the things that you go, well, you know, that worked out pretty well. And begin to dream and kind of set some new goals and, and uh, strategize for the new year, make some plans. And it's exciting. My wife and I, my wife Christine is here, by the way, and we, we always love this time of the year because we take, from the holidays, we take about five, six weeks all the way through the 21 days of prayer and fasting uh, that, by the way, begins next Sunday, January 8th. Uh, we take this season to really evaluate, to kind of assess, to open our hearts before the Lord, to sit quietly and just let the Lord give us uh, some marching orders for the year. Make sure that we're in tune with his heart uh, as we step into the new year. And it's a natural thing, and I think everybody does it. It's a lot of, it's a lot of fun uh, as, we, as we kind of evaluate and make plans and set goals and dream about the new year. And, but today, before the new year begins, I want to encourage you, and uh, even I'm going to challenge you a little bit, because I'd like to push you just a little bit to open your hearts and your minds as you seek the Lord for His plan for you this year, to give Him a little more room, maybe, in your life, a little more space uh, in your life to, to maybe bust up some small plans and make them a little bit bigger, uh, to, to, to cast a little bit broader vision for you in your life, and to dream big in a message that, I am, uh, that I've entitled this morning, It's a New Year. So dream big. And I do believe 2018 is going to be an amazing year. I think God's got some great things in store for us uh, individually. I think as a family, as a church family, I think God's going to be doing some amazing things. I know among the lead team and our staff and team here at Church of the King, there's just a buzz. There's a sense of anticipation uh, of what God has for us in 2018. And so I want to help us this morning uh, in our time together just to kind of maybe expand our horizons and think a little bit bigger uh, in 2018. You know, it's interesting to me, if you, if you think about children, as kids, we naturally seem to dream big. When you're a kid, and especially if you've ever been around toddlers, if you have kids, you know, from that toddler stage all the way up through uh, pre-adolescence, kids just seem to have bigger dreams and bigger ideas and thoughts about life. They see life through possibility. They don't, they don't consider limitations or, or the negative things in life. They just, they, all the things that they imagine becoming and being and doing just are, are large. If you ask a kid, you know, what do they want to do when they grow up? You, you'll get astronaut. They want to be a superhero. You know, all kinds of stuff comes out. I know when I was a kid, I, I, I wanted to be, I either wanted to be Batman and or the President of the United States. In no particular order. I was fine. I, 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 want, I know a lot of you are glad that at least one of those did not happen. Uh, but um, if you think about it, though, 
I could still be Batman. <laughs> I mean, give me a second here and think about this. Have you ever seen me and Batman in the room at the same time? I'm just saying. I think it's something larger, something darker. Could be. You never know. Anyway, I, I heard a, uh, they asked a, a little kid, a little first grade boy, what do you want to do when you grow up? And they had, he had a little piece of paper with three things, you know, list three things you want to do when you grow up. And these were his three things. I thought this was hilarious. He said, I want girl, to get a girlfriend, I want to kiss her, and I want to rule the world. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to see that kid today, see how that worked out for him? You know, but it's interesting, Some, somewhere between childhood and adulthood, life just tends to beat the dreams out of us. It's funny, it's, uh, we, we get discouraged sometimes, we let go of the things that at one point compelled us and drove us as, as children, and, and somewhere along the line, we, the things that we dared to imagine and hope for as kids seem, begins to seem silly and unrealistic as an adult. And we let go of those things that inspired us as children. We stop hoping that things can get better. And we stop expecting life to be filled with excitement and anticipation and joy and just fun. And uh, it, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. But you see, I think it's because as kids, we see life through the lens of possibilities, not through the lens of limitation. As children, we're in, created in the image of God. And when we come into this world, we, before life Get, comes on and, and taints us with negativity and bad experience and hurts and disappointments, our thought processes as children more accurately, more clearly reflect the thought processes of God. Because children, if you think about it, they're more positive, they're more optimistic, more sharing, more caring, more forgiving. They tend to trust and they tend to believe the best. They tend to look a little bit more like God. And most of all, they tend to dream big. And I believe that's one of the reasons that Jesus told the disciples, hey, bring the little kids to me. Let them be around us because this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kid, because those kids see life through possibility, not through limitations. And that's what Jesus is. And it may not have ever occurred to you, but God is a dreamer. Not necessarily in the way that we think of dreamers, you know, kind of people who are disconnected with reality, but, but God is a dreamer. And in fact, if you think about it, the, in eternity, before time, in the imagination of God, existed the universe and all of its glory and all of its splendor. It existed in the imagination and as a dream of God before it was, and then it became because of his will. And the same thing is true for each one of our lives, that in, time, in eternity before time, God saw your life and it, as a dream. And in his imagination, he saw each one of our lives specifically, not even just generally, but specifically created. And I want to just show you this in, the, in Scripture. I love this passage from Psalm 139. The, the psalmist David describes this, this aspect of who God is when he describes God's involvement in our creation as individuals, this is what David says. He says, my frame was not hidden from you, and I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet not, there was not one of them. Now, what, what David is saying in, was that as when God saw you in his imagination, individually, not generally humanity, but individually, when God saw you, 
In his imagination, he dreamed of a tapestry that was woven together that would represent your life and my life. He saw in us the the talents and the abilities. He saw the passions and he saw the desires. He saw our, our, our personalities. He saw every aspect of our life, even the time in history in which our lives would exist. He saw the context of the relationships that he had designed our lives to be experienced in. And he saw every part of our lives as this beautiful tapestry with, this, with a, a contextualizing backdrop that made our life make sense in his bigger picture. God dreamed that for us before we were born and he wrote down every aspect of that dream. You see, God's dream for us isn't some flimsy, weak, insignificant dream. It's powerful. It's poignant. It's a dream that involves the life-changing, transformative power of the Holy Spirit flowing in and through our lives, making us into someone who we would not otherwise be, and causing us to be able to do things that we would not otherwise do. It's a powerful, supernatural experience. It's a life that almost transcends our, our, our ability to think in our own imaginations. And the life that God has designed for you and I, man, I'm telling you right now, DC and Marvel Comics can't, can't shed a light on the light. They can't compare on the life that God has created for you and I. Why do you think we live in a culture that's so driven by these imaginary people, these imaginary beings, that, and why an industry of billions and billions of dollars is creating media and movies and music to, to personify this otherworldly life? Because inside of humans, because we're created in the image of God, there's something that tells us there's something more, something greater. There's a way for my life to be significant, to leave an impact, to be more than I can be just in my own natural state as it is today. And we're driven towards that light, that picture, that dream that God has for us. God's uniquely designed each one of us with specific abilities that correspond with specific things that need to be accomplished in our lifetime. Paul describes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, another one of my favorite verses when it comes to this topic. Let me read this with you. It says, for we're his workmanship and we're created in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that each one of us is a unique masterpiece that's crafted by God, skillfully crafted by God for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. What is he saying? That before time, God saw the plight of humanity. He saw the pain. He saw the different needs that we would have as humans and as culture. And he designed a a response for every one of those problems in the form of one of his children. That you and I carry in us the answers the solutions to the plight that plagues humanity, the problems that we face as a culture. It's bound up, it's woven into our very being. And our job is to discover those things, unlock them and walk in them as we walk with our Father. Let me define a dream before we get too much farther into this because we're talking about dreams. And again, when you say the word dream, a million different things come to people's minds. And I'm not talking about, let me explain what I'm not talking about at first. I'm not talking about those late night, you ate pizza or tacos too late and you're up and you can't sleep well and you have these weird dreams and you call your friend the next day and say, hey, I had this weird dream, does it mean anything? No, it does not mean, it means don't do that again. Don't, don't, just give your digestive system a rest. I'll tell you what else I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about selfishly motivated dreams that are for your own good and really not for the benefit of anyone else. That's, those are the, not the, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a biblical dream. It's a, it's a God-given picture 
in your mind and in your heart of who you're created to be and what you're created to do. It's an understanding of how God sees the tapestry of your life as it comes into being. Your destiny and my destiny are closely tied to our dreams. Our dreams and our destiny are infused by God into the very core of who he's made us to be. And our life is composed of the process of walking out, of discovering that dream and walking it out. When you may be here this morning and say, Pastor Dave, I, I don't really have a dream. There's nothing in my life that compels me, but I would beg to differ. Let me tell you, I believe that every child of God without exception has bound up with them created into their core the dream of the heart of God for their lives now I will say I know that bad things happen stuff happens in life and and the dream that God placed in you as a young person may have been so drowned out and so just shoved down and stuffed down through pain and disappointment and betrayal and all the things that we experience in life that it's not even there's no glow no flicker of warmth to that dream anymore and you can't even identify with anymore but I want to tell you in fact I want to challenge you maybe even dare you today to ask God in this first month of 2018 to awaken and breathe new life into that dream that he's designed for you to awaken that passion and desire for it in you I love what pastor Steve says about dreams he says it's not our decision it's our discovery it's not a matter of you trying to figure out how you're best wired and what the best use of you. It's really not a decision that we make as much as it is a, a, a process that we discover who it is that God's made us to be and what it is he's called us to do. So what I want to do for, with you for the next few minutes is I want to take a look at a story from Scripture, the story of a life of a man, a young man named Joseph. And many, uh, many of you will recognize this story. It's a familiar story to many. Uh, and just in a couple of minutes, I want to take a, uh, take a few minutes to, to pick out a couple of keys that I think will help you in discovering. And then before we finish, I'm going to give you a few steps in practically walking out uh, the dream that God's placed in our hearts and that he's designed for us. So let's talk first from, this, from the life of Joseph about discovering God's dream for our life. Genesis chapter 37, we're going to begin in verse 3. Uh, I'm going to kind of abridge the story a little bit because of time, so I'll jump around. But if you'll follow with me, Gen Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. Joseph did not get it, did he? He was kind of, did not, he missed the clues there to, to close, shut his mouth. His brothers said there were, he explains this dream to his brothers. This is what he says. There, were, there we were, all of Joseph and his brothers, binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves also stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, let me give you a little bit of backdrop. Je Joseph uh, is the 11th of 12 boys. And in this culture, the birth order was most, one of the most important things in the shaping of your identity in that day. In fact, the, the firstborn son had absolute rule and the, all of the inheritance and everybody else kind of just fell into place uh, along the way after that. So 
as the 11th of 12 boys, he almost had zero significance in that family. So for Joseph to come to his brothers and say, you're going to bow down to me, I'm going to rule over them, was not just offensive, it was absurd, borderlining, you know, institutionalizing him. Are you with me? It made absolutely no sense. The problem was that this compounded the already pre-existing condition that his brothers hated him because their, his father favored this young brother over the, over the rest of the boys. His father liked him the most, and he didn't try to hide it. So there was already this rub between Joseph and his brothers, and he just, just you know, rubbed, poured salt in the wound as he explained this dream that he said God had given him that he would rule over them and have dominion over them. So Joseph is not winning friends and influencing people with his brothers and in this story. But the first thing that jumps out to me, and I've read this story many times, and the first thing that always, the thing that always comes to my mind when, I, when you read this story, especially in its historical context, is this. Number one, your current circumstances do not limit God's dream for your life. Your current circumstances do not limit God's dream for your life. In Joseph's life, there was nothing about him circumstantially that would have indicated that there was anything special about him. He lived in obscurity. His father really had no name at that time. There was nothing special about their family other than God's hand was upon them. But even if that were the case, Joseph himself had no position within the family. And so when you look at his life, circumstantially, there was no reason for you to expect. People were not coming up to Joseph and patting him on the back and saying, this young man's going to change the world. There was no, nothing about who Joseph was that would have indicated that. And I believe that sometimes we, as, as God's children, believe that God's plan for our lives is somehow limited or maybe even nullified because of negative circumstances in our lives. I think sometimes we get this idea that because of our relation, relationships that are in bad shape or our, our, our finances are in bad shape, all these things, that it nullifies God's plan for our lives and we feel like we're disqualified for God to do anything significant with our lives. But I'm going to tell you today that the Bible is filled with hundreds and hundreds of stories of people who are ordinary. There's nothing spectacular about their lives. They're dysfunctional in their own right, yet God plucks them out for whatever reason and says, I have a plan for you. I've designed a unique dream for you, and, and, and as long as your heart is towards me, you're going to fulfill it. Nothing can stop it. A few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Jim LaFoon was here ministering, and he mentioned an interaction that he had with Nelson Mandela, President Mandela from uh, South Africa. And uh, it, what you may not realize is that uh, Nelson Mandela, as a young um, activist, political activist in South Africa, God gave him a dream of a racially united South Africa being healed of all of the corruption and the racial uh, system of apartheid that, that ruled that nation for, for centuries and it, the problem was with, with Mandela is uh, while he was an activist and he did have a dream from God in his heart, he was imprisoned in the early 70s and wound up spending 27 years of his life in a cell, in a jail cell. Now I want you to think about that for a second. God gave him a dream, but for 27 years, he daily faced, sat in the, in the confinement of a prison cell, facing the impossibility of the circumstances that he was in. There was no hope for his dream to come to reality. There was no hope. There was no chance circumstantially. For 27 years, how many of you would, lost, would have lost hope? I would have probably taken 27 days 
to give up on the thing. How many of you think that probably Mandela had the thought that that may have been a pizza dream somewhere along the lines? That it, there was really no real, no realistic chance of him, ever, of him ever seeing the fulfillment of this dream that God had placed in his heart. But in 1990, Mandela was released from prison. And he went back to work, faithfully serving and stewarding the dream that God had placed in his heart. In three short years, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. And one year later, in 1994, Nelson Mandela was elected for the, as the first black president in the first ever truly democratic election in South Africa. Had Nelson given in to the circumstances of his life, we would not know the South Africa that we know today. Again, not perfect, but far away, worlds beyond where it was decades ago. Are you with me? We have, to, we have to contend for the dream of God in our lives beyond the circumstances. We have to learn to, 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 to see beyond the circumstances. And secondly, the second thing that comes to my mind is that, that God's dream for our lives will probably take us out of our comfort zones. God's dream for your life is very likely going to take you out of your comfort zone. If you continue the story... Uh, in Genesis, the story of Joseph, basically what happened was the brothers got so aggravated with him that they decided they were going to kill him. They decided, you know what, this dude just runs his mouth. I can't handle it anymore. Let's just kill him and be done with it. And so we pick up the story here uh, in, in verse um, 26, Genesis 37. Judah said to his brothers, that's the oldest brother, he said, what prophet, no, not the oldest, but one of the older brothers, he said, to what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 27 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now, Joseph's story is not getting better. Uh, his brothers decided not to kill him, but instead they sold him into slavery. And so Joseph's story, basically, when he decided that he's going to fulfill and stand, uh, when he's going to stand firm on the promises of God, the plan for, God, for his life, his, his story went from bad to worse. And now I'm not saying that if we pursue the purposes of God for our lives, that, that this is going to happen to you. I'm not saying that. However, I will say that God does often arrange the circumstances of our lives to bring us out of a comfortable place into a place where we have to depend upon him for the fulfillment of his dream for our lives. And that's what he was doing in Joseph. And at the same time, while, God's, while our circumstances don't define us and they don't limit God's plan for us, they, God does use them to prepare us for his purposes. God does use the adversity that we face, the hardships that we face, the challenging relationships and circumstances that we face to build in us a character and a Christ-likeness that will sustain us as we walk into his larger dream for our lives. And that's exactly what he was doing in Joseph's life, but it's going to take you out of your comfort zone. I, I love the story of a young man named Hudson Taylor who encountered Christ as a teenager and, and felt a call of God to go to in, mainland China as a missionary. And so he, as a, at 19 years old, he began medical training and moved into one of the poorest neighborhoods in London to prepare himself for a life on the mission field. In 1853, he went for the first time to China. And then over the next 50 years, traveled back and forth 
fighting. He lost his loved ones and fr- close friends and co-workers to disease and sickness. Himself, he battled illness for over 50 years, over more than 10 times traveling back and forth from, the, from China to the United States and to Great Britain, establishing along the way what became known as the, uh, as the Inland China Mission at the time was the largest missionary organization in the world. In fact, modern missions was shaped and formed by the foundation of this organization. And Chinese, the Chinese underground church today with over hundreds of millions of believers in it was founded and basically influenced and began on the back of this young man of Hudson Taylor who gave up the comfort of the comfortable and privileged life as the son of an English pharmacist to respond to the dream of God to make a difference with his life in mainland China. He understood that the dream of God would cost him a little bit, but the payoff could not even be measured Even men like Eric Liddell, the famed English uh, track track and field Olympian, Amy Carmichael and Billy Graham himself said that his life and his life of service to the Lord was inspired by the work of Hudson Taylor. You can't put a price on that. You cannot put a price on a life who is surrendered completely no matter the cost to the dream of God. As you know, many of you know Joseph's story that through the trials and the hardship that he faced in and out of prison, I know there was lots of opportunities for Joseph to give up on his dream, but because he had held fast to the dream of God in his heart, he rose to power and prominence as the second most powerful man in Egypt, which at the time was the wealthiest and most powerful nation on earth. Only God can do that. And only with a life who is completely yielded to him and his purposes. You see, God's plan for you is not limited by your circumstances, but it will cost you. It will take you out of that comfortable place. And I'm not saying you're going to go to, and and I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, I knew there was a catch. This is the part where we all sell everything and move to Africa. Why in the world would God move you to Africa? You'd be terrible there. You don't want to go. God's going to do something with you that you're passionate about. He's going to get you out of your comfort zone right here, right where you are, right in your neighborhood, right in your community, right in your business field, right in your school, on your campus. And he's going to begin to use your life as you just yield it to him to do things that are far beyond your wildest dreams and expectations. But there's a few things that we have to do along the way. The first thing we need to learn to do is we learn, if we're going to live in a God-sized dream, we've got to learn to pray some God-sized prayers. Let me tell you, the, 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 li- the size of the life you live is determined by the size of the prayers that you pray. If you pray every day, humdrum, just get by prayers, you're going to live a every day, humdrum, just get by kind of life. But God is the seed of the image of God in you is crying out to the Spirit of God to believe God for greater, more powerful, supernatural things, things that only God can do beyond our own natural abilities or even comprehension. God has a plan for you that requires of you that you believe him for things that are beyond your own abilities, that are beyond your own even imagination, beyond your own thoughts, ability to comprehend. God wants you to trust him and believe him. And again, scripture is filled hundreds of lives, hundreds of men and women who believed God and prayed in faith and saw a miraculous thing happen because they actually believed God for them. That's why the writer of James says, you don't have because you don't ask. You don't have because you don't ask, not because it's impossible for God, but, but in, because your prayers are limited. We got to begin to pray some big, big faith prayers if we're going to see God's plans come about. 
uh, in our lives. I love the, the story. Again, if you've never heard the story of Reese Howells, he, the, there's a phenomenal biography. It's entitled Reese Howells Intercessor, written by Norman Grubbs. My dad used to read it to us when I was a kid. Inspiring. Just, it'll, it, will, it, will, it won't just encourage you. It will wreck your life. I'm just warning you. Uh, that's the warning on the label of that book. It, b- prepare to have your mind blown how God used this man. And let me tell you, it all started in 1906. He, he was touched by God uh, during the Welsh revival at the turn of the last century. And in 1906, he prayed a very dangerous prayer. Young teenager Reese Howells said to God, he said, God, I will never ask you, I will never ask you to answer a prayer through someone else if you can answer it through me. He wrote God a blank check with his life. He said, God, whatever... You want to do through me, you can do. Because I'm never going to ask you to do something through somebody else if you can do it through me. And through the course of his life, over the next several decades, Reese Howells prayed hundreds of prayers that, were, that produced hundreds of miracles that have been validated. Healings and provision and food and clothing and resources, all kinds of things like that. And even the battles, the major battles for the Battle of Britain and the Allied forces in World War II in Europe... Winston Churchill credited Reese Howells and his team of intercessors as the key to the victory in England and in all of Europe by the Allied forces in World War II. That young man tapped into a truth that if we're going to walk and live in the purposes of God for our lives, in God's dream for our lives, we're going to have to learn to pray some God-sized prayers. Secondly, we're going to learn to pray some God-sized prayers, but secondly, we're going to have to learn to set some God-sized goals you know, so often our goals are limited to what we could, by what we think we can accomplish in our own strength and resources, in our own abilities and talents, in our own thoughts and ideas. But we're going to have to get outside those, those thoughts and ideas recognizing that God has a bigger picture and a bigger plan and a bigger economy and that he's able to do things through us that we're not able to do. That's when life begins to take on a supernatural aspect, begins to take on an aspect, a dimension of, that, that is otherworldly. You've heard Pastor Steve talk about R.G. Letourneau, and I, I love the, his story. Uh, I've studied his life for years, and let me give you a little bit of the back story of R.G. Letourneau. He's a titan of industry. Uh, 14 years old, he left his home, a very conservative, godly home in Vermont, moved across the country. He dropped out of the seventh, seventh grade, 14, moved from Vermont to Portland, Oregon, and went to work in a steel mill. He taught himself engineering and, and auto mechanics, tr- the trade of auto mechanics, carpentry and construction, and began a business. At the age of 16, he had a powerful, radical encounter with Christ. He raised in a Christian home, but he had a personal encounter with Christ and became committed to his faith at the age of 16. He began a business. He owned a large construction company and, and began to learn. He learned to tithe, and he began to give and be generous in his life. The problem, the burr in R.G.'s saddle, though, was his sister. His sister was a missionary, and every time she would come home on furlough, she would rub a little salt in that. She would say, you know, R.G., I know you love the Lord, but if you really loved him, if you really wanted to serve him, you would sell everything you have and move to the mission field and serve him as a missionary. Something about that didn't sit right with R.G. He just, he, he knew he he loved God and he wanted to serve God, but he didn't feel that call to the mission field. So he went to his pastor and he said, Pastor, this is what my sister says. Is it really true that I can only serve God fully with my whole life by selling everything and giving myself to the mission field? And the pastor looked at him and said, R.G., no, listen, God needs businessmen and businesswomen. He needs people who have a kingdom mindset 
that when they go to work and when they create resources and create jobs and economies and all of the things that, are, that happen around industry, that their hearts are towards God and that they give themselves to God's bigger picture and yield. And you know what? R.G. heard what he was saying and he went home and he talked to his wife and they began to pray together and he prayed a da- dangerous prayer and he set a dangerous goal. And this is what he said, God, if you will bless us and prosper us, we will give 90% of our income and we'll live off the other 10 And God was faithful. And because R.G. grabbed hold of the truth of Scripture, his life passage was found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things that you need will be added to you. R.G. grabbed that verse and said, I believe God meant what he said. I'm going to work. I'm going to give my best. I'm going to set God-sized goals. I'm going to believe God. And he did. And he gave 90% of his income, not just to good causes. Hear what I'm saying gave them to the gospel ministry, organizations around the world that spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the span of his lifetime, he had over 300 patents. He was one of the the founding fathers of mass earth-moving equipment. His statue in Peoria, Illinois, at his original factory and in Longview, Texas, at the university that bears his name, Laterno University, at the bottom of the statue is this passage from Matthew chapter 6 that defined his life and over half of the equipment in World War II for earth-moving equipment to all of the Allied forces was supplied to them by Letourneau's machine. He was the inventor of the first portable offshore drill, dr- drilling rig. Now, we can relate to that in South Louisiana. He had a vision from God that compelled him to set God-sized goals and believe God for bigger than bigger than normal things, and God used him to generate millions of dollars for the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you, businessman, businesswoman here today, God's plan for you, his dream for you is not limited to just Christian service. It's to be, live a Christian kingdom mindset to generate wealth and resources for the kingdom of God. He didn't leave you out of this thing. The third thing we've got to begin to do as we're walking in God's dream for our lives is we need to do life with people who are doing the same things. We got to pray God-sized prayer. We got to set God-sized goals, but we got to do life with people who do the same thing. You know, this series, the other side that Pastor Randy was talking about that we've been looking for and talking about for weeks now is a perfect opportunity for you to get involved in community, to, to commit the quality of your resources of time and energy into in relationships that are moving in the same direction that you're moving in and, and building a life towards God's purposes and plan for your life. You've heard the saying probably hundreds of times that if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. This is never more true than in the context of the relationships that God has designed the tapestry of your life to be lived out in. That the purposes of God cannot be fulfilled because your life only fully makes sense when it's properly set in the context of the people that God's called you to do life with. And, I, and when I was a little kid, you know, my mom often, whenever she would uh, catch me doing stupid things with my friends, which was about every day, uh, she would say, son, you're an eagle, but it's hard to soar with eagles when you're living with turkeys. We got to take a real honest look at how we spend our relational energy and invest in people, our relationships with godly people who are doing the same thing. I think about my own life. You know, I was 
I was born in a small town in Montana, grew up in a little town in upstate New York in the Catskill Mountains, graduated high school with 17 people, one building, kindergarten through 12th grade, 300 students, the whole school. I never dreamed that God would allow me to be a part of the things that he's been a part, that I've been a part of. To, especially even here at Church of the King and, and in this region, the things that, that are happening uh, for the sake of the gospel, how God, the word of God is spreading and, and the churches are just growing and, and, and the campuses and the, are in the jails and the things that are happening. I never dreamed of this. But I can say with confidence that if I had not believed God, trusted him, prayed big prayers, set big goals, but most of all connected with the people that God called me to walk with, I can honestly say that everything good that's ever happened in my life has been a result of God's favor and the people that, I'm, that I do life with. Same is true for you. 2018 is going to be a big year. God's got some big stuff in store for you. Big plans, big dreams. Why don't you take the next few weeks to really open your heart and ask God to paint a picture for you. We reawaken old dreams, the things that he's planted there in your life and heart. And trust him and walk with him to see it happen. Can you do that? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you as we close. At this time, I want to ask all the campus pastors to join me on the stage and close their services out. God's not limited by your circumstances or even really by the size of your faith. I love the, the prayer, the, the, the cry of the father who asked Jesus to, to heal his son. I believe, but help my unbelief. And I think sometimes we, we, we're, we want it, but we just recognize our own weakness in really being able to live it out and grasp it and run hard after it. And so, Father, this morning as we, as we stand right on the, the, the precipice of the brink of a new year, Lord, we have a sense. There's a... There's a just overwhelming anticipation of what this next year will bring. Sometimes it's scary. It can be fearful, Lord, to think about what, to imagine what you must expect, what you have planned for us. But Lord, I pray that you would help our unbelief, strip away any areas where we lack faith, where we, where we, where we doubt, Lord, your plans for us, that you have a good future in mind for us. Lord, your word says that you know the plan that you have for us, a plan for our, for our future, for our prosperity, God, for hope and for a future for us and for our children, our children's children. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to just lay hold of that which has been woven in us from before time, the tapestry of our lives, God, that you designed in eternity. Lord, to lay hold of it, to run God, to run the race that is set before us, to lay hold of the prize, God, the upward call, Christ Jesus, for each one of our lives. Lord, I pray as we go from this place, God, that you'd fill our hearts with courage to say, my life is yours. Do with it whatever you will. 
Go with us, Lord. Fill our hearts with your peace. Surround us with your favors, with a shield until we come together again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you guys. Happy New Year.